Bear Down Bears fans, welcome into another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Pat the Designer, Courtney Cronin, holiday week, we're all over the place, man. Everybody's everywhere. Courtney's in a whole different world. She's sitting here, but I heard her on Greeny. My mind was blown. You're in like a portal world going on. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's uh, It'll throw you off even more tomorrow because we, or Friday, we shot the Tournament of Champions episode, our holiday episode, on Around the Horn Tuesday, and that's going to be airing the same time I'm on radio, 2 to 6 p.m. So it's um, it's always fun to be in, like, two places at once. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you Can't make it happen now. in real life, but in taped life, I certainly can. It's all live TV. That's what I say. Well, I'll that tell you true. what. Uh, we've got some interesting updates coming on today's episode. And Flus on live, I guess we can call it TV, YouTube, uh, and Twitter, uh, interesting comments, in my opinion, about Luke Getze or lack thereof. And usually when there's that lack thereof, uh, there's there's a little something going on there. So I want to get Courtney's thoughts on that. Also heard a really good uh, uh, um, question about fourth quarter comebacks and experience because we keep seeing them except here in Chicago. So are there some big questions heading that way? And of course, injury updates Wednesday, so we get to kind of find out some player designations and all that thing. Mm-hmm. All that and more in today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button, subscribe to the page, leave a five star review. Y'all know what to do. Drop a bark down in the comments while you're in there right now. Uh, let's jump into the show, Courtney. Injury updates. We've got some interesting names out. Uh, let's start on the offensive line because I think this is probably one of the more important ones. No. Tevin Jenkins still, he still mm-hmm. seems to be in that concussion protocol. I'm not going to lie to you. When when I saw him walking off the sidelines, I was just like, yeah, we might be without him for a while. He looked like he did not know where he was. And at first, I wasn't sure what the injury was because he was helped off the field. Like you, in they were, it looked at least to me from the press box with my binoculars, looked like they were stabilizing his right, like his left shoulder at a 90 degree angle. So at first I'm like, is it, it's a collarbone? Is it a no. stinger again? Because remember, he had that one last year that looked really serious at first. And then we find out it's it's not trying to minimize it, that it's just a stinger, but it was right. a stinger. And sometimes, like, you know, I heard Brock Purdy talking about it. Like, he had one in Arizona, and he's like, I, I was my first one. I've never had one before. It's a weird feeling. Nonetheless, it's a concussion for Tevin Jenkins. And I, you got to go back to what happened in, like, in the game. And then, like, him coming to the sideline. Didn't go to the medical tent. Immediately, the training staff called for a cart to get him back to the locker room. I did see him walking out of the locker room at the end of the game before we were allowed in there for post-game interviews. Didn't notice anything in specific to, you know, him looking woozy or anything like that. But he's in concussion protocol. And just knowing a player's injury history, too, not necessarily just concussion history, but injury history, how they're going to respond to something like this and how much time they may need to miss because, yeah. you know, they have the independent um, independent neurologists like check out these guys to make sure they can pass through the steps to get back. I don't know. I, I wouldn't if he's missing a Wednesday practice, he's still in concussion protocol. I wouldn't think that this is going to be a situation where he's able to come back this week. And that's just projecting out kind of knowing how injuries have played out with him before. And also yeah. knowing, you know, there really hasn't been anybody who has had a concussion in a game this year that has been cleared right away. I know that we, you know, Roshan Johnson was in concussion protocol for more than a week. Lucas Patrick, uh, you know, it took him a little bit of time to come back. And it's something to make sure to monitor because how are they going to, they weren't running the ball well at all before he got hurt. 
it, does it get that much worse if they have to continue with this offensive line combination where they have Cody Whitehair filling in for Luke, for um, uh, for Tevin Jenkins at left guard, or just because it is, you know, their defensive fronts different than the Cleveland Browns. Maybe it is something that they won't be afraid to go up the middle because you saw so few runs in that direction, or at least a few successful ones uh, at yeah. that. Very, very interesting uh, choice of game plan with the run game on Sunday. It just, it, it's one that continues to blow my mind because it was such a strength for the Chicago Bears. But losing Tevin in that case, right, I think the one thing that really stood out there, and I guess going up against, right, Arizona, it makes it a little bit different, right? There's no Miles Garrett on that line. That, mm -hmm. that makes a huge amount of difference. But it did seem like after Tevin went out, that left side just kind of collapsed, right? Maybe that was Cody White here whatever it is, not being ready to go in, not being right, like not getting the starters reps anymore. He's not as prepared. Braxton Jones did not look good as well. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that that offensive line kind of, it wasn't standing up great initially. And this is now two weeks of struggle we've seen from it. But I really thought that it just fell apart the second they lost Tevin. This is going to be a real concern going into this game. And remember last week, just in terms of like the numbers and the depth, Chitari Carter was inactive for the yeah. game. So you can't afford another injury along the offensive line. Um, and fortunately, they were healthy. They had up until the time Tevin Jenkins got injured, they had four straight games with the same O-line combination. And I remember talking with Chris Morgan about that last week. A, that's kind of rare, especially for this group. And B, it allows you to, to feel comfortable. Um, and there have been moments. I mean, Justin was pressured on 44% of his dropbacks. It's collectively against Cleveland. That's really yeah. tough. But like, that's not putting him in a great situation. And of course, it's like the snowball effect. If he's pressured, then he can't make the throws down the field that he wants to because he can't see his receivers sometimes. And sometimes you are just throwing to a spot. Sometimes that timing is off. Like there's a, a whole domino effect here of what happens when the pass protection takes a hit. And if you know if, if they have to go forward with this combination that they have knowing that injuries are now coming into play, how do they compensate for that? Because it was it was not good. And I know live, like there were moments like, man, he's getting hit a lot. Like not, yeah. I think he came away with, he sacked like three times, which isn't a lot. Yeah. But it's still, you know, when you watch that game back. Yeah, and they you watch the tape. <laughs> they didn't have to get to him and bring him down to see how that pressure was affecting him and just throwing off the timing of his throws timed up with receivers routes. Yeah. And and I think that's that's another one where, right, like you come out of that game and I, I keep saying this and I don't know if it's hitting home or not. That's the number one defense in the NFL sure. for a reason. They but they were, were too. Like, that's the thing. Oh, they that, were beat up for sure. Know, that's the thing that like, you know, should have been more in the Bears favor. But again, to your point, they still did a really good job rotating guys in yeah. and out. And Miles Garrett, despite not getting a sack, I mean, he's four straight games without a sack. Um he was still very effective. Yeah, and, and he's one of those guys where like, it's just like knowing he's there deters you. And I think when you when you watch the tape, there's a couple of plays where you see that, where we're like, normally Justin would take off there. Oh, never mind. The direction he probably would have had to run. Miles is standing right there. I guess I kind of see why he tried to stay in the pocket. But defense did a great job versus the Bears. The the. The name that has been the hot name out of this game and a very interesting update. Now, we're recording this pre the uh, injury report being dropped, and I am refreshing Twitter uh, actively. But uh, I, I think practice will pretty much be over. It won't be over before we finish recording this. But 
You said Darnell Mooney not on the practice field today. And that not practicing is, today. Not yeah. practicing today. And that is interesting because of everything post sure. the game after that. Is there something that maybe has popped up? Did he seem like he was working with trainers? Or is he kind of like, is this a Chase Claypool situation, I guess? I would not go that far. Um, and again, we don't know because we didn't see any sort of notable injury in the game. Right. Um, and, you know, I talked to him after the game. He sat at his locker for a while after his, you know, couple-minute press conference. Um, and I didn't notice anything. So this one was a little surprising to, to hear about that. Um, and then, you know, what it ends up being, your guess is as good as mine right, right. now. If it's anything other than an injury, that's going to raise red flags. Like, but you know, there's three games remaining here. The idea that, like, mo you know, I, I don't even want to go there. Like the thought, like that, you know, something else could be more. Because he was definitely frustrated, and I think the thing that's yeah. notable. Like, and I heard Black and Abdallah talking about this yesterday. You know, Mooney's comments, DJ Moore's comments, came out of a very raw locker room, and you haven't heard many other players talk about that. That doesn't mean that that wasn't the sentiment on the sideline. Like he would not have said that. DJ Moore would not have concurred with the sentiment that they took their, you know, gas off, or foot off the gas in the third quarter had that not been real. I think a lot of times where, you know, because it, it does bother me some of the discourse that I've seen about Darnell Mooney. They're like, yeah. how can people are like, how can he possibly say, you know, the offense got comfortable and all this stuff when he's doing X, Y, and Z and he's not catching passes and, you know, he drops the Hail Mary at the end. Of course, he looks like the scapegoat in that moment, but I think he was the most honest one there because at this point, what does he have to lose? He had his worst game of the season on Sunday. They lost the game, not be, not specifically because of him, but because that one play is going to be remembered among everything else. Yeah. So to be honest about that situation, when he has been forthcoming about how frustrated he's been this season, but like not in a way that's that like makes him seem disgruntled. I would never, ever, ever use that word to describe him. He's remained so level-headed despite the targets not coming his way. And then when they do, when he does get eight passes coming his direction, he only has two catches for 12, 14 yards, he's still a very level-headed guy. He's the first one to talk about you know, Justin Fields as you know the long-term answer in Chicago. And, and to provide some clarity on that, because I'm sure to the outside, it's like, why the hell was he being asked about this after the game, after yeah. a loss? Look. This was a Cleveland reporter. I don't know who it was. I don't know the affiliation. I don't know the outlet, anything. But the question to Mooney was different than the one to DJ. It felt like this reporter ended up kind of walking back because, like, Mooney gave a very thoughtful answer, but was also kind of like, are we really doing this right now? Like, you know, and then the question to DJ was about how, you know, why does the, why are people asking this? And I kind of thought in my head to this reporter, like, well, you're the one asking this guy. Like, you're the one who's asking this question. Like, go ahead and like, don't don't couch it. Don't right, be, right. Don't, don't 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 play scared now. Yeah, don't don't half step this. Like, you have to like respect <laughs> that Mooney in that moment when you know he's getting dunked on all yeah. over the place on social media for that play, that he still stood behind his quarterback. And I just I say all of this kind of coming full circle that. When players then are asked about another player's comments, the easy way out is to be like, no, of course we were locked in, blah, blah, blah. No one's going to come out and be like, yeah, totally agree. I mean, kudos to DJ for being honest about that when he's talking about there was a lull. Why was there a lull? Well, we didn't have any explosive. didn't feel like we had explosive plays. They only had like four first downs at that point. Yeah. So 
I say that then to say I don't think that it means that it didn't happen. I think that players wanted to take the other way out because that's what they are coached to do. That's yeah. the way to like kind of squash any sort of distraction or what could become a storyline. But I think it's pretty obvious given what we saw, not just from Darnell Mooney, but like, you know, this is a team that had eight plays inside, you know, from the one yard line, more or less, um, on that touchdown to Cole Komet, that pl- eight plays that started at that one yard line drive. And, you know, to the lack of finish that we saw, whether it was Robert Tunyon's drop, whether it was, you know, keeping Joe Flacco in check and then letting him go buck wild in the fourth quarter and throw for 212 yards, like all of those things collectively are not just a Darnell Mooney didn't catch the Hail Mary sort of yeah. problem. It's a far bigger symptom of the issues within this team that they're like this, this 23 iterate 2023 iteration of the bears. Like if they finish with seven wins, that was my win total projection. I said yeah. seven and 10. Uh, I think at some point I also may have said eight and nine, but like yeah. that will have hit the total, but the way that this season unfolded and the chances that they had, we're going to remember it as this is the point that the season got away and the game and the way it unfolded, like so many others, the, the fabric of this year they have been in position to win games to close teams out and they haven't yeah it's and i think that right the i want to clarify the is this a chase claypool situation not did mooney give up right mm-hmm. because mooney having a bad game i saw people on twitter going like darnell mooney's just valish jones you guys are Moron, some of you guys <laughs> like like Darnell Mooney is a much better receiver sure. than the guys that people are comparing him to. I think the question for me was more so right, like, is this flu saying AO? We really didn't appreciate the comments, maybe have a seat for the but it but he was practicing for most of the week, right? Like this is just a today thing. This has isn't something that well, today's the first time they're on the practice field. Uh, so just, we'll see. Yeah, we'll get a chance now, you know, when the injury report does come out. Um, you know, see what exactly it is because at the time that we're recording this, we don't know. Right. It's one to monitor only because of the other layers that are involved here with Mooney and what happened in Cleveland. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what this ends up being, you know, long term. I I think that Darnell Mooney's a good receiver. I, I do think that they still have a really good relationship with Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people trying to make more out of it than it was. I think at the end of the day, listen, you played a really good defense and you had a bad game. Like the, uh, sometimes I know with in, in this world we're in now, everything the quarterback does is is he staying or is he going? Yeah, and, and especially with three games just, left, everybody wants to put it under a microscope, knowing damn well that like one game here down the stretch is not going to be the trigger point or not. It's the collection of these final games, but it's also. You know, I think that they have a pretty good idea of the direction they want to go in, considering they've seen thirty five plus games from Justin Fields in his career. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what this ends up being. The one thing that I do want to ask though, right? I thought there was a couple of, first off, kudos to, to you guys in the press room today. Like This is the one day where it's like, okay, we getting, we putting a little fire on flutes today. I thought there was a little bit of a, Hey, you got to give us some answers here because we don't like what we're mm-hmm. seeing on the field and you guys aren't giving us any answers. The one thing that uh, um, was asked basically and I think it's very straightforward. Do you think that Luke Getze is doing a good job? And we kind of saw Matt Eberflus moonwalk out of that question, say, I love him as a leader. I think he's a great man. We're going to assess everything. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of Matt Eberflus saying without saying, 
we haven't done enough offensively and everybody's going to be under the microscope by the end of this season. Sure. And it's also what a head coach says. The head coach always is responsible for his staff and he, you know, of course, the element in there is wondering, will Matt Eberflus be the one when he says we're going to evaluate everything? You have to, that's naturally going to come in, into question yeah. or at least come to mind. Like, is Matt Eberflus going to be making that call? Because if he ends up staying and he's and he's moving forward with this team in 2024, then absolutely it's his call to evaluate whether the offense is going in the right direction with Luke Getze. But when you hear that and you hear how he danced around the part when he was asked about like, what's your responsibility on game days when it comes to the offense? Because he's talked about this two separate times now. So I'll yeah. bring you, I'll bring you back to the to the press conference on Sunday after the game. And he was asked, What influence did you have on the offensive plan, the play calling? First thing he says is, I'm not calling the game, but I do have influence on the game plan and the setup of it. And I we all know you're not calling the game. I always find it interesting though when coaches like are say that right off the jump, kind of the obvious, just to point out, like, hey. That's not me. That's not, yeah. I'm not the one calling the plays. The fourth down calls, like all that stuff, though, he's on the headset. He, he has one button, he has a button he can flip over offense, defense, offense, defense. And he can be a part of any conversation he wants to be on on the headset as the head coach. Um, so, and you'll never get a straight answer about how much influence did you have on this call? Did you say yes, no? Because obviously, if something happens, the head coach signed off on it. Right. There's, very few opportunities for people to go rogue in that sense when the final call comes in, because that's how a lot of people lose their jobs if things like that happen. But, you know, he didn't really provide a whole ton after that. Like, he's like, you know, I think we need to run the ball and set ourselves up a little bit better in terms of third downs and the manageables. So, of course, the short yardage game was awful, Pat. Like, yeah. it was so bad. So, like, that's a, that's a message to Luke Getze. This was Sunday. That was a message to Luke Getze. Find a way to run the ball that's not just, like, you know, just saying, okay, well, we can't do it because like our offensive lines hurt right now. We can't run up the middle. Like, and of course there was then the third and one where that's technically a run play. It's a jet sweep. And they're like, all right, well, if we can't go this way, we're going to go around. And yeah. it, it got sniffed out immediately for a three yard loss. Now, maybe this is Matt Eberflus. And this is just my opinion on some of those short yardage situations where we've seen them go away from trying to sneak it, you know, sneak the ball third and one right there, the fourth and one play, um, where they use DJ Moore in a similar situation against the Detroit Lions, and that play got sniffed out. Maybe there's a reason for that. I don't know what the reason is, but it's yeah. just something that I take note of when you are in these short yardage situations on first and second down. And if you don't convert, my God, they were in third and third and long ten times that they didn't convert. I think it was like of their 18 third downs, I want to say at least like 13 of them were third and long. Yeah. So anything over third and seven. Um, and you have 10 of those where you didn't convert. Well, it's because you're not doing your job earlier on in the game earlier on those downs. And that's a, that's a shot at play calling. That's not necessarily like him, like tearing down Luke Getzi. It's just, we have to be better in these areas. So then on Monday, I know I'm taking a while here, but like trying to set this up, like on Monday, he was talking about, you know, Matt Eberflus comes in, he lists all of the offensive or the defensive accomplishments, you know, less than 24 hours after blowing that lead. And you're like, all right, well, missing from this list are offensive accomplishments. And then, of course, he gets into the short yard situations and all of those, you know, issues that they had there, which led to the lull that Darnell Moore, Darnell Mooney and DJ Moore talked about. But the he laid out the com the 
the conversations that he has during the week. Like, you know, when he's talking about like staying in touch with the offensive coordinator, like what is it, you know, they start talking on Monday, they go through the game plan. Tuesday's a big game plan day for them too. Um, and that he'll see plays during the week where he's like, you know, this is, you know, this could be, this could work all of those things at the end of the day though, it's Luke gets call on what the offense looks like, but yeah. that's not to say that Eberflus does not have any, control over it it's not like you coach the offense i coach the defense that's just that's first off i've seen i've been i've covered teams that have done that and that doesn't work that way um there's always a head coach involvement and maddie berflus wanted to be the ceo style head coach so he could have been over offense and defense popping into both instead of having to manage the defense and also split away into his head coach role and manage and you know be over the offense too at least in terms of like an advisor sort of thing and I think that's like, is this a strike against Flus as well, right? That the offense looks the way that it looks because, right, you're putting yourself in, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, giving input every play on protection. Mm-hmm. I'm giving input every play on, you know, where, where what run scheme we should go with. I'm giving input. Well, if you're giving input every play, that means that you're, you're is uh, uh, to blame for this lull in the offense. And I think that's which- why he's been pretty calculated in what he said and what he said on Wednesday when he was talking, when he was asked about like delegating versus how much he just says like, Hey, Luke coaches the offense. Yeah, Like he'll always kind of hit those same points about, you know, I'm in the meetings, all of this, but on game day, he's not calling the offense. So right. ultimately that falls on Luke Getze. It's just in those situations, like fourth down situations. Goes to that like offensive coordinators not deciding are we going for it or not. They're going, hey, head coach, we're going for it. Okay, here's the plan. Yeah, here's yeah. the play. Um, it's a big, like long line yeah. of different people that are involved in those decisions from analytics to the head coach all the way down to the coordinators who then send the call in. And I think Flus, one thing he can use to at least like insulate himself from any sort of criticism is look how much you're having me do this year. I don't have a defensive coordinator. I am the defensive coordinator and I'm the head coach and I'm over the offense in the head coaching role. Like I would think that that would be a big, a big part of his selling point to ownership and to Kevin Warren and Ryan Poles of why he should stay in this job, because look how successful my defense is. We can point to some of the issues with the offense. Like we did our job. And that's of course, when things start to come apart at the seams, when, when people divert to look at my side of the ball, look how much better my side is not, I, you know, I'm not over your side. I'm not like, he'll never say that stuff publicly. No coach will, but it does. That's how it could very well play out if the wheels come off on that and what those conversations could be like behind closed doors. I think even though, right, like to me, the conversation is, okay, is Flus's mindset permeating the offense if he is having some sort of input? Because when we've seen the offense look at its worst, right, it's kind of because we keep saying the same thing. Every time they blow one of these 10-point leads mm-hmm. with a multi-touchdown game, they're too passive. And I think, sure. right, you look at that first Detroit game, Flus basically said, we're up with two t- two scores. Uh, we're playing prevent defense. We're playing back. We're waiting this thing out. And I feel like you look at the offense and it's like, oh, yeah, well, we're just going to run the football as well and just hope that we get off the field and burn some clock. Neither of those played out. They end up losing the game. We could say that about the Denver game. We can say that about, of course, this game here versus the, the uh, Cleveland Browns, right, where it's mm-hmm. kind of just like, I guess the defense stayed a little bit more aggressive in that Cleveland game because Flacco was starting to bring the team back. But it just feels like the mindset of my head coach is, again, I said this earlier, that was enough. That was good enough. We should be able to leave here with a win. 
And I think that that permeates the offense, the defense, special teams is what it is. I mean, don't muff punts. Like, I don't, yeah. It was, I mean, weather conditions, I'm sure, will end up being the the blame for that. But, no, you're right, because there have been moments where, like, that Detroit game, four minutes and 15 seconds remaining, you're up by 12. You have a 98% chance to win that game. And then, you know, after... After Justin has that 29-yard scramble in Detroit, those two runs that don't work out, you kick a field goal instead of go for, you know, go for a touchdown there to yeah. extend your lead. There's so many layers that you can just like rip through here. Justin said, I, you know, when I asked him about it, like people are said, you know, a couple guys in the locker room said they were comfortable. Like, what did you think about it? He's like, I'm never comfortable. Like, I in his mind, 28 points. You gotta put up 28 points yeah. to win a game. Yeah, like, that was huge. Like when when look at the Philadelphia Eagles. At one point they were a really good offense. Now they can barely like score 20 points a game. Like you cannot win games like that in the NFL. Every quarterback knows that. Every offense knows that. Like the yeah. comfortable margin should never be a two-score game. Should be three minimum because we've seen those sudden change moments, how quickly the game can shift the other direction. Three times here. This year. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, shoot, one of those was a three-touchdown lead. They had a 21-point yes. lead on Denver, and they blew that. So very clearly not even that safe. But, you know, it is asking a lot within this offense that has not routinely scored 28 points. Yes, I know that they did against Detroit two weeks ago, but to get to that level, like, and I'm not even saying you get to 28 points and you're like, okay, I can back off, but yeah. there's no, there's no comfort in any of that. So like, of course, when it comes to the head coach and how aggressive he is, there was a stat that I ran last week going into the Cleveland game. They are tied for the fourth fewest punts in opponent territory. So that is a way to gauge the aggressiveness of the head coach that they're willing, you know, if they're in opponent's territory, they're willing to go for it. But there have been instances where we're like, they haven't. They have gone for it, and it's failed. Yeah. Um, so, I think that Flus has like been. He's told that line, and he's been aggressive enough in moments, but it hasn't been a consistent feel to where you're clenching at a 17-10 lead because you know that with the amount of time and that you know, especially the way that some of these games have played out. Like you think about what happened on that touchdown drive that Detroit had Montez sweat, not on the field, Tremaine Edmonds, not on the field. Like, you know, even before that, the drive with the missed tackle, like from Tremaine Edmonds. Then of course this last one where, you know, the 51 yarder, the catch and run more or less from Amari Cooper, you know, you shouldn't have those moments. It's not just an offensive problem, but it's a problem that's enough where you're like, okay, nothing is safe with this team. How can they get themselves out of these one score messes? Because once they get into one score territory, it feels like a, a combined, you know, man, these last three quarters, we really shouldn't have taken, you know, our foot off the gas, should have kept going. And then you're in a situation where it's like, that's a tough situation to win in if you're constantly forcing yourself into that. And and that's the, I think that's the part for me where right like <laughs> the conversation around Flus is purely built off of him as the DC in my opinion. It's not right. I get it. Like Lance kind of debated me on that base. Was like, well, he's your head coach. But for me, we have zero confidence in him outside of anything but the defense that he has built up. And with the defense that he has built up. We're still talking about three historic losses. We're still now talking about the only coach to ever lose three games. And I think Sylvie said this one, Wadlin Sylvie, I want to say yesterday or day before yesterday. If this is still Allen Williams, we're calling for Allen Williams to sure. be fine. Sure. We're looking at Allen Williams and saying, You blew three games. 
that you had two score leads and two interceptions, you shouldn't be here. You're not wrong. And no. I think that some people apply that same that same thought to Matt Eberflus um, because he is the head coach and because he is calling the defense. And because in those moments, it's like your defense is great for three quarters. And like, what happened? You, yeah. you let Joe Flacco throw for 212 yards after being held 162 in three quarters. What happened? You already picked him off three times. What happened? Yeah. Um, and those are fair questions to be asked, but because he's, He's in a role he didn't expect to be in at the start of the season, handling right. all of that. I'm not saying he gets a pass, but sometimes that's the logic of, man, look how good this defense is doing, by and large, which means that you have to also take into account what happened in that fourth quarter, the David and Joku pass, where, like, even Matt Eberflew said, if you just would have had a cover two look, like, that would have been that would have just a simple <laughs> cover two look instead of the sim pressure that he dialed up. That would have – that was – that was the first time I noted that he said that's on me. Like I've got yeah. to call something. Like I have not. Admit, correct me if I'm wrong. Like no, I, you're, you're 100. I said and, the same thing. And on the fourth and one play the week before against Detroit, where it was DJ Moore, like Luke Getzey's the one who said that's on me. The protection changed. It was not on Justin. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's just coincidence that the two co two you know the two coaches we're talking about here took culpability for things that went wrong within a couple of days of each other in different situations, but it stood out to me and maybe it means something, maybe it doesn't, but I just thought that that was a very important thing to note because we've never heard flu say something like that before. And I think that that is a, it, that is one of the issues that goes into the myriad of issues that we look at our coaching staff with, right? Mm -hmm. Like it took this long for Luke Getzey to say that's on me. I need to call something better for Flus to say that's on me. I need to call something better when the first time it was, you know, I mean, listen, it all comes down to player execution, right? No matter what's called, sure. the players got to execute, but it just seems like they adjust as we ask them questions. <laughs> Like that, like that shouldn't be the case for my head coach and offensive coordinator, right? Well, why is it all of a sudden now they're taking accountability? Well, probably because, you know, some handsome young gentleman went on the radio after and was like, hey, uh, when uh, the Detroit Lions had an issue, yeah, guess who took culpability for sure. it? You know what I mean, like, like we, we call it is interesting. It is you know interesting I mean? to see like, the timing of it. You're, you're it, not it's wrong. Like, it's like, oh, he did do that, didn't he? Yeah, maybe we should try that. Like, I just... I don't know. I'm I'm not saying that there's no hope for this coaching staff coming back. I think the part that concerns me the most is the mentality that they go into game in and game out with. And when you lose three games in the fashion that you've done, you have to think no coaching staff in history has done what the Bears have done. They're and tied. Yeah. They're tied for first. A couple other teams have done this. Tied for the most. Uh, 2015 Giants were the last example of it. I know there were a couple of them, but like to have a 10 plus point lead in the fourth quarter and to lose three games in a season, yeah. there's at least a couple others. But like they have the lead for the most but of those they're situations. The only, I, I believe, and maybe I'm mistaken on this, I believe they're the only one that had a two turnover plus, plus margin yeah, I mean, going into the floor. You can move oh, the we get deep here, Courtney. We get deep. But like, I mean, that's a big part of it. Like your yes. defense forced these turnovers. That's yeah. good, important context into you know, it's not like, oh, man, the defense played like crap. No, the defense played great that day. Yeah, and they forced two turnovers. They have, you know, 12 interceptions since week 11. Yeah. Um, that's a league leader. My, no, it's um, that's in that stretch. It's a league leader. They have 18 on the season. 
I think the 49ers are still one ahead of them because they got one in that game against Arizona in the yeah. window after the Bears were playing. So, but nonetheless, it could be, you know, without knowing that, you'd be like, oh, well, you know, the whole team must have played poorly. No, but the no. defense was playing great up until that point. And then they had their myriad of issues in the fourth quarter that led to the snowball effect that cost this team. And I think that's the that's the part that I don't envy Kevin Warren on. I think this may have to go over Ryan Poles because Listen, Flus is a good DC. Mm-hmm. Now, are there question marks on his aggressiveness at the end of games? Yeah, but there's also still major pieces missing on his defense. But he's a good DC. Is he a good enough DC that's worth keeping around as your head coach? Because you can see things are working. You can see major things that aren't. It's that's a tough job coming up to the end of this season for uh yeah, the Bears are second right behind the 49ers. That's insane. Especially considering where they started. We we had like four going into week eleven. I don't even think we had no. We did. We had four. Mm-hmm. Jalen Johnson had two. There was the, there was one, one in the one I believe in the Chiefs game. I don't even know who got that then. But Terrible. yeah, no. I mean, it's it's definitely been you know the turnaround there when you are evaluating the head coach. It's like okay, adapting and adjusting. That was one of the things that they were going to look at for Matt Eberflus the you know second half of the season. He did that. He adjusted. I mean, they got him a playmaker. He used Montez Sweat in a way that's going yep. to that affected the rest of the defense positively. How can you not factor that into your evaluation as much as you are the blown leads? Like, I would love to see what the Venn diagram looks like. No. Assuming they use something like that, or at least like what their pro con list looks like, because there's so much to sort through. Like, there's there's been a lot for a team that's five and nine. There's been a lot of good from the coaching staff in the moments where you needed them to grow. Sometimes it does feel like that's more skewed towards the defensive side of the ball, but like the offense is going to have that same sort of evaluation. Just going to be really interesting to see who's making that at the end of the year. Cause if, if Flus isn't here, that's not, I mean, the whole staff is gone at that point. Yeah. No, hundred percent. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting end, end of the season off season. I feel like Kevin Warren's just throwing darts and like, okay, that's, that's, so that's good for him. Bad for him. Good for him. Like, it's going to be an interesting finish. Something else that I did want to talk about with you, though, because, you know, I, I thought, again, the 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 Chicago media was on flus today. They were lighting a fire and, and looking for answers. The fourth quarter comeback question kind of going into the same conversation was such an interesting one. And I, I don't I don't know who who presented it, but basically right, like pointing out all of these inexperienced quarterbacks that have led fourth quarter comebacks basically saying we can sit here and talk about experience and all of that. Mm-hmm. Justin Fields don't have these numbers and these guys basically didn't know they were playing until Wednesday. His answer to that to me was very interesting. What were your thoughts on kind of Fluces again, the, the, the moonwalk that he did on that one? The question was posed about the experience. Like Justin was not named in the question not on either all. attempt at getting an answer out of it. But like the easy way out of that is the way that he took. Well, you gotta like you can't just talk about it in like a nutshell. Like you're you've got to talk about specific plays. So yeah. in my mind, when I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, okay, Tommy DeVito leading the Giants after um, you know, after what you know the Packers defense was terrible in that game, but he led them down the field. It was like an 80 plus yard drive to get in field goal range. Giants kick the walk-off field goal, they go home winners. 
Drew Locke, who didn't, who was taking first team reps last week. It wasn't like he just like came in, you know, doing nothing. And he had, he started games before. Yeah. Tommy DeVito's a rookie. He, he started a couple games, but you know, he comes in, leads a 92 yard touchdown drive in a two minute drill, hits, you know, some insane throws. The one to DK Metcalf, the one to Jackson Smith and Jigba over the shoulder, like just crazy stuff. And then Jake Browning, when you're in that situation, again, a lot of that was Minnesota screwing up in moments in the fourth quarter, the, t- the tush push, you know, well, in a third down and fourth down when they couldn't get it, um, which is bizarre. But all of those things come into play. Like those quarterbacks who are not starting quarterbacks in the NFL until they had to be, they were able to do it without asking it directly. The question, you know, you think is like, why can't Justin be that guy to consistently do that? And I know there's a lot here. There's context in Detroit. Oh, yeah. in Detroit in a very obvious passing situation, games, you know, Detroit just took the lead. Like, go win us the game? Is that fair? Is that an fair assessment? When that, it's such 30, an obvious seconds on the clock on obvious that passing situation, your rookie yeah. right tackle gets gets beat and you get sacked and it's, you know, the ball goes out of the end zone for safety. This past week, you know, you know, the Hail Mary attempt, like, you know, on third down because, you know, the, he got them at least to that side of the field because of the Tyler Scott catch and run. But, like, you know, you had three downs. Was that enough time? Like, is that a fair thing to be like, hey, go win us this game? You've yeah. seen it one time this year, and that was just to get them into field goal range against Minnesota. Now, we saw two fourth-quarter comebacks for him last season. Didn't see any of his rookie season. I don't know if that's something you necessarily need to judge a quarterback on, like, super heavy. Like, kind of like the, you know, QB wins and all of those things. Yeah. Fourth-quarter comebacks are a layer of it because how did you get in a situation where your team needed you to come through at the end? But that's, that's the part that always cracks me up. Is like, Derek Carr leads the NFL in fourth-quarter comebacks. I'm like, Derek Carr loses Speaking, a lot. Yeah. I covered one of those seasons where he, like, set a career high in 16 like, because the Raiders' defense was like giving up 400 yards a game yeah. um, and it had to come back. But that's part of the evaluation of Justin Fields and into to like the broad picture. Are you ever comfortable that if your team's losing, Hey, this is the guy who's going to go win us a game. And he hasn't shown that consistently enough. He showed it one time this year and it was on Cairo Santos to win that game Yeah, because it was a field goal because, because he had scored all 12 points that the bears had in Minnesota. And that goes into does it, does experience actually matter for that? Because you saw somebody who like just stepped in for his you know second start of of the year with uh, Drew Locke this past week go ninety two yards in like less than two minutes and do yeah. it like does that I don't know I, I think it's a very fair question because so often we're like oh you got to learn how to win these games this team has to learn how to come back from that like they've had plenty of opportunity to do it either you do or you don't at some point and that's the territory that they're in where. They've had opportunities to learn from, hey, what do we do here blowing these leads? Like, we're still talking about execution, Pat, and it's week fifth, week 16. Yeah. That's that, – that, at some point, that, that's a sign of either – like, and nobody will come out and say this. That's a sign of either poor coaching or you just don't have talented enough players to get those things done in those moments. It's one or the other. And sometimes it does – it teeters on both. Yeah. But this weekend, I think, you know, this past weekend, I honestly think it was an execution thing from all, you know, from Justin to the players through, like, by and large, what cost them in that game. Oh, yeah. No, listen, I've said this many times, right? I I like Justin Fields. I want Justin Fields to be the franchise quarterback for the Bears. I think that the Bears should keep Justin Fields. He played bad. (laughs) It was a bad game for Justin Fields. That's okay to say, right? Like, quarterbacks have bad games. and, And I think the one thing for me is, right, when, 
when I look at these scenarios, and it's very much like you laid out, a lot of these scenarios are, right, the Detroit game. Justin Fields has to come back in that game. Justin Fields should have never been put in a position to come back. You were up with two scores with four minutes like, left. Yeah, and it's and, an unfair position to be like, okay, there's like, the, you're all the way backed up into your own territory. Yeah. And you're expected to go drive the, like the length of the field to get the team in field goal range, whatever. Like, you know, they actually needed a touchdown because I think like what was that game? 31-26, the final. Uh, right? Yeah. So like 31-26, yeah. So like they needed a touchdown. Like that's an unfair position, like for anybody to be put in, yeah. not just Justin Fields. And so I that's the context here that matters. How much time do these guys have in these moments to come back? Are you leading a true two-minute drive? Like they practice all of these things situationally every day when they're out on the practice field, how come it feels like it's not translating to the game when we hear so much about this? And I think that's the biggest question for me on both sides, right? Of course, player execution side, you have to talk about it, right? Like at the end of the day, players aren't executing, mm -hmm. but my God, how many times have the bears been killed by the two minute drill, the four minute drill, yeah. right? Like how many times are we talking? They keep about harping on it. It's week 16 <laughs> and it's, it's still a big part of fundamentals being good. And th those are the critical moments. Those yeah. gotta have it moments. And if you, if you haven't figured it out by now, you have three weeks left. You're probably, that's probably one of the biggest things you're looking at going into the off season, all these fourth quarter leads that they've had, that they've blown where they have won the turnover battle, where the defense has been playing great and you're putting it on your offense, go win us a game. It's some people will say that's unfair, but like yeah. that's the reality it's of the situation that they found doing. themselves in and, and they couldn't do it. Yeah. We'll see what it ends up being. I mean, there's, there's three weeks left of football. I don't know that this Bears season is it's so weird because it's like you look around and you're like, well, I can see clear improvement. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the part of me was like, well, yeah, but they also just put talent on the team. Right. Like that. And, that, and that's part, part of the evaluation. Like, of course. And, you know, <laughs> I think what's you know, we were talking about this off air, I think, um, like if they get to seven and ten or yeah. eight and nine, that's marked improvement from where they were last More year. Huge. Yes. But because of the way that they've lost games, are we going to look at that number differently? Thinking, okay, it could have been for two, three games more than that, and you might have a winning record. How does that factor into the evaluation? Of course, like you are what your record. Like you can theorize, oh, this would have happened if we did this. You are what your record says it is. So. That, but that's part of it of like factoring in how do these blown leads help, you know, like wh how much, how heavy do they weigh in yeah. the evaluation? Because they should be pretty considerable since this team was in position three separate times and and cost themselves. I I, I think that it has to have a huge implication because, right? Like that's the difference between being in the playoffs or not. Three. Two score leads going into the fourth quarter with two turnovers. That's the play. Two of those you lost in the last four minutes of the game, three minutes of the game. That's the playoffs or not. I I have to think that Kevin mm -hmm. Warren looks at that uh with that scowl scowl that we saw on the on the camera. Haven't has he had every game? Haven't seen him on yeah, the camera. Yeah, he's once. he's at every game. I haven't seen him on the camera once since they caught him with that scowl on his face. I think that was the Denver game. Yeah, when he had the play sheet in his hand. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, I would think that somebody of his ilk would look at that and just basically go, something 
massive has to change here, whether it is the QB, whether it is the coach, whether it is just the OC, there has to be some kind of change because the standard that we have set is not a good enough standard. No. And that's, that's part of the evaluation. Like if you feel that it can get better, that you've seen enough signs of improvement with Eberflus, then, you know, if they, let's say they, let's say they went out, let's say they went out. I mean, it feels like if they go eight and nine, that's, you know, th- nearly a 500 record. Do they think that that's enough to be like, all right, the direction with Eberflus is is enough that we want to build on, that we don't want to like pull the rug out and start a completely different direction? But if it's not, then you have no choice but to move on. And it, God oh. forbid they like are in another situation where they blow another late game lead, then that is only mounting as as a knock on the head coach. Yeah, I mean, and and I mean. It's so tough because it's very back and forth. At the end of the day, you focus on the wins. But, I mean, that would be a football team if they went out that finished 8-5. and five. Yeah. That's I mean, massive improvement. After starting 0-4, you finished 8-5. and five. That is massive improvement. And so we'll see what this all ends up being. Any nuggets you want to leave us with before we get up out of here, Courtney? No, I mean, I think that the injury stuff is going to be interesting. So very curious to see what we see from Darnell Mooney. Yeah, we'll see what it ends up being. Give one more refresh here. Still no update on that. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, no, uh, we'll see what what it's going to be for Moon Man. Uh, hopefully he's healthy, ready to go. No Tevin Jenkins uh, in practice, which probably means he's not playing. So could be some, uh, some offensive line concerns heading into this week. But we'll break all that down and more as we do our Eye on the Enemy episode tomorrow. We get double duty from Courtney now. He's back yeah. to back. Yeah, I mean, so... Uh, and then, of course, uh, Friday's episode with the good kid coming you guys' way as well, which, my God, I can't wait to hear what he thought about this game. Those <laughs> are always great episodes. Uh, as always, it's your boy, Path the Designer, joined by Courtney Cronin. Y'all stay safe on the Chicago. Bear down. Peace. <laughs>